The following episode was recorded before March 2024, and while the content shared is valuable and useful, it features Rob, who is no longer involved in the business. Hey, it's Rob and Kennedy. Hello. Today on the Email Marketing Show, we're talking about using buyer psychology in email marketing, how to get customers to buy with some cheeky little examples for you. Got to love an example. Now, if you want to continue this conversation, jump all over this conversation and talk about how you can make this apply to what you're doing with your audience and your niche and everything that's going on for you, uh, come and hang out in our free Facebook group. It's called the Email Marketing Show Community, and it's full of thousands of business owners all talking about how we can use this email marketing stuff to make more sales specifically as it applies to us and you. So come and hang out. Just search for the Email Marketing Show Community when you're on Facebook. You'll see the group. You can come ahead and join. We'll talk about all things email marketing in the email marketing show community he can't make pancakes it's comedy hypnotist robert temple and he's thinking about starting a theater and food review blog it's psychological mind reader kennedy okay tell me about your pancake travesties then just can't do it so my stepmom always used to make them for me growing up and then when once i sort of started living on my own and got my own place and whatever i like followed the recipes to the to the tea made the batter stuff put it in the pan just didn't work you're following recipes pancakes. for tea that, that's the problem <laughs> the pancakes that i can make are like healthy ones that are like made of banana and like you know like the, the little funky ones good at those nailed that but well, maybe, maybe reason. it's a sign. I mean, that's not a bad thing. If you can't make the shitty ones and you can make the healthy ones, just lean into it, mate. Lean into it. I just, I just get other people to make them for us. I'm not going to lie. We have people for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you think about starting a theatre and review blog? I mean, you sort of do it anyway, don't you, on Instagram when you go and see a, yeah. a show. You might as well formalise that. Well, I just, I just thought I might do it. I, I mean, two minds about it because obviously... It, it's easy to write horrible things, isn't it? Like that's that's fun, kind of, because you can like come up with like quirky ways of like being mean, which is like it's kind of easy. And I think that's so. If if I come up with a really cool angle for it, I'll do it because I already, like you say, I already. If I go and see a show, which I do, you know, most weeks, honestly, because I'm addicted. But it's it's I'll I'll always write like this was great. Oh my god, that she, you know, the lead was as wooden as the the spoon in the lid of my ice cream, which is what I wrote the other day. Like I'm I quite you know I quite I do quite enjoy it. And then also I eat. Out quite a bit because I enjoy that too and I usually will put on what I think it's about and I thought well actually if I formalize it if I put it into a blog I might even get free tickets for stuff because I'm, I'm going anyway so why not yeah. and you and obviously you've got a marketing background believe it or not so you can do like you can build a little email list sure. around it that'll get you a lot of traction I've got an angle for you what's that if you want a unique hook you could review theater and th- theater you haven't seen and food you haven't eaten oh that's a funny idea <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably great. <laughs> Thingsihavendone.com. <laughs> Things I haven't done. <laughs> that must exist. And if it does, they're not sponsoring us. So let's edit, uh, let's uh, let's pretend I didn't say it. Mate, do you know, you know most podcasts, like big podcasts, will do like sponsorship slots. We do not sponsorship slots every fucking week. We're like, hey, here's right. somebody else who's not sponsoring us. <laughs> Somebody's bought the domain name on Namecheap, but they haven't put a website on it. Oh, things I've We're never... not sponsored by Namecheap either. Oh, God. Who else we're not sponsored by? loads of people sit down i'll go through the list (laughs) hello every week on this show we show you how to make sales and earn more money from your email subscribers Uh, we talk about email marketing strategy psychology tactics and share what's working right now to make more sales online making you the email marketing hero 
of your business. With a brand new episode every Email Marketing Wednesday, make sure right now you hit the subscribe button on your podcast player so you don't miss a single episode. Oh, well, Rob, I, I, I think we should give a shout out to our friend Hilary Marie. I do. I want to give a shout out. Hilary Marie is in a member of the league and also our mastermind level up. And she posted in our channel the other day, uh, very excitedly about the fact that comparing, and she's a real data driven uh, person, comparing her stats from this year to the same time last year, or the same period last year, every month, she's like between 35 and 70% up on revenue from the same period in the previous year. And most of that's profit because she's a lean, mean money making machine uh, who uh, keeps our costs quite low. That's amazing. That's amazing. 35 to 70% up just by doing the stuff, turning up, sending more emails, making more sales, growing the business. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So obviously our background, stage hypnotist, you, um, psychological mind reader, me. Psychology is a huge part of what we do, understanding the humans, um, being able to interpret what people are doing. So doing that to help with creating customers is is really at the core of what, we, what we're all about, what we think about a lot, what we talk about a lot, and, and the frameworks we come up with. Um, so a lot of people talk about this thing called bias psychology. You know, what do you do with talking bias psychology? And, and basically, in case anybody's like just not down with it, it's basically a fancy way of saying, how do we, what do we do to, to, to get people to buy based on what they think and what they feel about something. So how do we use how people think, how do people feel, what are people and how do people act based on those things? And how does that affect how they buy stuff? Right? Yeah. And so and for I, a, I think yeah, cool. if you think about if you think about life generally, so ignore business for a second. If you think about life generally, and more and more people now are starting to do things like um, go to therapy and, and look at self-help. And the reason why people do that, I think, is that we've come to this conclusion that we're all broken (laughs) and the best thing we can do is to try and like figure out how did we get to where we are what's happened to us over the course of our lives that's led us to where we are why is it that for example kennedy gets very grumpy if somebody doesn't turn up to a meeting so if somebody's booked in a meeting and they don't turn up kennedy gets very grumpy about it i on the flip of that go ha fuck i can have an hour off i didn't expect to have off (laughs) i can literally not do anything if you want to make rob's day schedule a meeting with them and cancel it Oh, it's my favorite thing. A bit like if you were sat in um if you were sat in a lesson at school waiting for the teacher to arrive and the teacher didn't turn up and then one of two things would happen. Either a supply teacher would turn up because um you know Mrs. Smith was off that day mm-hmm. or the supply teacher doesn't turn up because something's gone wrong. Do you remember that when yeah, that used to happen? That, I like that, that. I wasn't grumpy that was about that. That's my favorite thing, right? Anyway, so I'm I take that approach when somebody doesn't turn up to me and it's excellent. Unless like- I've traveled somewhere then it's a pain. So something obviously different in our wiring but also the 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 things that have happened to us in our lives to lead us here. Mhm. Maybe it was when Kennedy was abandoned as in a basket as an infant in the woods, and now it's been abandoned on a meeting. Yeah, anyway, I was I was something to a stream, and actually, my real name is Moses. It's yeah, it's <laughs> something's different has happened to us, or is in our wiring genetically, or whatever, to mm-hmm. to get us to feel totally differently about the same set of circumstances. Bear in mind, sometimes we're turning up to the same meeting the person hasn't arrived for, and Kennedy's swearing and annoyed, and I'm like, yeah. Now, when you factor that in, and you realize. <laughs> These things happen to us in our lives to make us the human we are. Mm. That has to roll over into the into the process of buying stuff. And when you realize that, you go, well, I mean, uh, demographically, Kennedy and I are exactly the same. We are both in our 30s. <laughs> Kennedy's a bit older. But we're both in I'm our 30s. I'm still in my 30s, thank you. Not that there's anything we're wrong both... with being an old git, by the way. If you're an old git, if you're older than 30, 
then you know that's okay. We're both guys. We both like um, we I both like theater. We both dislike football. We both. Uh, are interested in the same sorts of things, so we're both entertainers and marketers. We both, so, so we, we're demographically, we're exa- we both dye our hair and put like, too much time and money and effort into that. We're basically, we're demographically identical, psychographically very different. We yeah. think very differently about lots of things, yeah. uh, and so when you start to realise that that's a thing, and and again, everything that people have ever been through, uh, and everything that, that that makes us up as human beings affects what we do to buy and don't buy stuff. Kennedy and I will buy the same thing for totally different reasons. So sometimes I'll send Kennedy an ad and go, "Hey, mate, look, look at this. I think this would really help us with thing," and he almost ignores it. And then six months later, he sees a different ad for the same thing and goes, oh, "I think actually now is the time to buy this." And actually, it's, there's nothing shifted in our business in that time particularly that makes it more relevant. It's just he's seen it from a different angle that's triggered the things that interest and inspire him. And I think that's why when you look at that it's both terrifying and also really interesting to go because it, it makes the whole business thing not as simple as you hoped it was going to be when you started the business right because uh, now you have to is think any about of it is any of it oh, i'll just pay me taxes on time ah but there are six taxes oh thank you great i'll, I'll, I'll turn to a fucking juggler then shall i and they account to 120 percent of your revenue <laughs> yeah, yeah. and your accountant's a dick and doesn't tell you on the only information so you know we're all like going through the obstacle course of life and business i think one of the things that definitely impacts how people buy is what their sort of previous experience is with what it is right. you do. So if you've got, if you're in the weight loss niche and somebody's been ripped off by somebody who's been, and then it helped them, with, apparently going to help them with weight loss, or if they've um, tried something and it's failed or it was too difficult or it made them puke or it made them ill, or like all those things are going to definitely influence whether they buy your weight loss thing or not, right? And similarly, like there's loads and loads of proper dodgy practices being taught and sold about email marketing, right? There's loads of it. So we know that we have to do things in order to make sure that we show, actually, our approach is very, very different. It's very no bullshit. It's very straight to the point. It's very open and honest. And that's only one thing of the beliefs about uh, or experience in the industry too. It could be that they've studied a bunch of email marketing stuff that was rubbish or didn't work or doesn't align with them or whatever, and therefore they're going to come to our stuff with those misconceptions and stuff. Yeah. But there's also the fact that maybe they just maybe they think I know what email marketing is and I'm quite happy. I, I do it. I send my weekly newsletter. It's got 15 sections in it, and I highlight one of these and an award yeah. I won. And th- like they're they're doing what they believe email marketing is, and therefore like they've got immediately got this wall up as well. I already do email marketing. Maybe I'd be interested in how I can get, you know, some more people to click or something, Mm. but like that's that. But actually our method for getting more people to click the links in your emails is stop fucking doing everything you're doing and like (laughs) do it correctly because this is how it works. Like you have to go so far back in the process for your emails to get more clicks that it's completely undoing everything you think is true about email marketing. What's weird is- That's a lot for people to get over. It is. And when people people say, when we say to people, our approach to email marketing is totally different. They're going to be thinking- well, how could it be different? Like, I'm sending emails. Like, emailing right. is sending an email. And you go, well, it's not, though, is it? You know, it really isn't. I mean, the other thing is, like, what are their beliefs about you in particular? Like, that that really affects their ability to, to buy or not buy. Like, do I believe that they are trustworthy? Do I believe that they're, they actually, their process will work? Do I believe that they've got my best interests at heart? Are they going to just, are they really good at selling me the thing and then shit at delivering the thing? And some people are the other way around. I mean, I know that we are we are obsessive about the delivery and have had to 
you know, apply, you know, get a lot of assistance and support and stuff about some of the the, the methodologies of selling and the front end stuff. Because that's not our, our our sort of strength. And then this is a really interesting one that I think we need to think about is what are people's beliefs about themselves? Like, can I do this? That's okay. I understand it works. I understand the weight loss program works. I can see the science, but can I do this? So have I tried stuff before and it's failed because I'm not very good on video. So I don't think I could buy that video course. I'm not interesting enough. I'm not funny enough. I, I can't buy that podcasting program because I'm not entertaining or I don't have groundbreaking knowledge to share. Like what are their beliefs about themselves that are either contributing towards allowing them to buy or stopping them from buying. Because it's not all negative stuff, by the way. I don't need to think at all that all this bias psychology stuff is all negative stuff. No, it's not. Like, are there beliefs, are there, what are the positive beliefs about you, the positive beliefs about themselves that you can tap into to fuel people's buyer decisions? So if people's decision, if people's belief is podcasting is easy, well, don't start telling them it's difficult. Or if they believe that they've got a certain um, condition and it's a self-imposed belief. It's not a, it's not like a medical thing where they've been signed off. They, if they believe they are wired up a certain way and they only, they only learn in a certain way, then build on that. Okay. Well, we know people have only really lose, lose weight through, uh, through, um, through having accountability. That's why there's an accountability part of this. If people already believe that they will only succeed through accountability, tell them how your thing adds to and it includes an, an element of accountability. Don't try and fight people's beliefs. Try and build on beliefs. So it, sometimes you do have to change their belief, and, and there's, there's some ways of doing that. But the best and most persuasive way of doing anything is to build on the beliefs that are positively going to help you to to move people forward. Yeah. You also need to factor in what other people, what they think other people will think about them. Now that's a multi-layered thing because there's what people will think about them and there's what people, what, what they think people will think about them. And those are two different things. Yeah. So we were talking about this the other day with Katie, one of our members who teaches uh, dog owners, dog training stuff. We were talking about the fact that when you're out walking your dog and your dog's misbehaving or doing something or whatever, you've got other dog owners around most likely. And you now second guess everything that you're going to do with the dog because it's not just about what other people are going to think of you. Like, so they might think you're doing it right. They might think you're doing it wrong. They might feel sorry for you. They might feel empathy for you. Who knows? Or, or they might be angry with you. And then there's what you think they're going to think about you. Oh no, that person's going to think I'm a dick because I'm, uh, because uh, you know, because I'm doing this, and that's my approach. Because I've got uh, this approach to to handling my dog, and and they might have a different approach. And so there's lots of other stuff. So the people around them, their friends, their family, strangers in the street, all of this is relevant to what's going to make them buy. Again, what what they think people will think of them, and what people actually think of them. Yeah, it's all really important. Yeah, that's it. Like, what is the status this might give me? For example, you complain to status with that. Like, um, the reason people have the black Amex card is because of what they think people will think of them. I know, I know a couple. Only only two people, I think, who have a black Amex, um, and th- they've told me absolutely truthfully, openly. I've only got it because of. I mean, it's costs. It's an annual huge fee. As the benefits are not great, but. The status it gives me, it makes me feel good every time I take it out of my wallet. That's about what other people think of me. So can can we 
sort of appeal to status as well. And interestingly, you've got people who will have that, they'll have that for the status of it. And they will think that other people are going to think they're really cool when they whip it out and go to pay the bill with it. But other people, there's a raft of other people in the world whose mentality on money and (laughs) stuff like that would be, what a dick. (laughs) Totally. And so like everything has to play into this. Yeah. And again, it's, if you look at like the opposite kind of brands where they're more, um, where they're more, um, inexpensive brands some people's perception of that will be oh that makes me look a bit cheap but there are a certain bunch of people who will be like who love appealing to that frugal lifestyle yep like uh, it's a bit like when you um I, I this happens a lot like when you say to somebody like when i say to a friend oh i really like your new shoes or your new you know whatever and they'll go oh it's just from primark or it's just from h&m and i'm like that's not the point of the question and other the statement I'm making, but they're proud of the fact, oh, it was a bargain. This, I only paid X for it. Like this idea of frugality is, is, is an appealing thing. So it can be high status, low status, but, it, but, it, but, it, but actually it's always high status. High status in frugality could also be high status in being a bit more, a bit more of a spendy person. And you can, and you can position that depending on the people and depending on how you actually position that, like show, show people that you care about the environment, show people you care about um, spending and, and all this sort and all this sort of interesting stuff. So, um, and then the final sort of bit on, on these little points before we get into some more detail um, is around like, what is everything they've heard about what it is you do? So one that we hear time and time and time again, which, you know, it's stupid, is that email is dead. Okay, great. So how do we deal with with that fact? And do we deal with that fact? Or do we just go, or do we just look for an audience who have matured beyond that and aren't caught up in that sort of weird um, sub-hype that's going on? So, um, yeah, so what are the beliefs that people already have? You know, um, it might be in, in the weight loss world, it might be that actually you're just, you've just got X metabolism and you're destined to be a bigger person. It, it might it, that might be a belief that they've that they've heard uh, around, or that uh, to lose weight you've got to drink your own piss. You know, if that's what they believe is is their fit is one of the things you've got to do, or you've got to. In a more sensible example, and we've got a, a client who um, their, their weight loss program involves zero exercise, none, zero exercise, and that's really good if you're going after people who believe that the only way to lose weight is to have to do push ups, and that. You can't do that because you've got bad joints and you you hit being out of breath and you've got as, you've got an asthma or something like that a condition. Well, the great news is you can say good news. <laughs> um, no exercise. You could sit in a chair and lose weight using this program. Obviously, it has to be true. The the interesting thing about all of this is that um, we're talking about two things at once here, which is thoughts and beliefs, and those are not the same thing. Beliefs are like built over time and long held and hard to change. Thoughts are fleeting, passing moments that like that we sort of just pass through. Like when you're driving from my house to Kennedy's house, you have to go through a tunnel. It doesn't mean you live in the tunnel; you're just passing through it. Um, the the belief is built from thoughts primarily, but it does mean that sometimes you'll have you'll have thoughts that conflict with your beliefs. That's why people feel conflicted sometimes, and so it's worth bearing in mind that there are differences between the two. Somebody can have a, a thought about something for a period of time uh, that conflicts massively with their core belief and just makes them confused, and that's where confusion comes into play that stops people from buying stuff. And over time, if they have enough of those conflicting thoughts, it will change what their belief is. So Kennedy and I recently have become much better. I've just noticed we've both done it when we're just chatting about things. Is in the in the last sort of year or so, we'll both have much fewer um, hard and fast 
uh, thoughts where we just make them as a statement. But instead, we'll go, yeah, I think, and I, and then we'll pause and go. Oh, I, I wonder just wanna, if. Yeah, or, or we'll say, I just want to pause. I want to make sure that what I'm about to say is really what I think. Let me just let me rationalize this thought against the belief that I've that I I have portrayed to you for the last twenty years, mm. and see if that still stands up. And of course, our beliefs now individually are different than they were when we became friends twenty years ago because people change and mature over time. So we have to play with both. It's hard to believe that we've matured at all, really, isn't it? <laughs> Sausages. Um, you have <laughs> to sort of, <laughs> you have to, you have to realize that you are playing and then we'll move on to the next bit, but you have to realize you're playing with people's fleeting thoughts in the moment about mm. what's going on, like happy days, sad days, their emotional, emotionally charged thoughts right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And their overall beliefs about a thing. I remember I've like, you meet people like, if you ask three different people, um, why is it that when when you get on a plane, they tell you in the in the event of an emergency, you have to go into the brace position, right? You'll right. get three people who are not pilots, have never worked on an airline, they may be flown three times in their entire lives, mm-hmm. will tell you categorically their belief about why that's true. And there's loads of reasons that, I don't know what the real one is, but there's loads of reasons that people, oh, well, my grand told me it's so that... It preserves your arsehole so that if you know if they dig your body up, they can tell you, oh, that was definitely Kennedy. That's Kennedy's arsehole. Like you hear you hear stories about like how that works, right? I thought so, everybody just believed the same thing about that. Actually, I thought everyone was just like, well, it's over, it's it's something that you die faster. I mean, which is the one that's like proliferated, isn't it? But right. I don't know the real reason. There's, there's loads of reasons for all these things. Nobody knows what they are, but there's so loads of people will stand there with absolute certainty. No, it's this. All I right, mean, I don't know why standing on the cracks of the pavement makes you die. I don't know why. <laughs> so my point is, people have beliefs about these things, and we have to pay attention to what those beliefs are, but we also have to deal with their fleeting thoughts in the moment that will make them think, oh, I probably can do this. And you can you can kind of bypass some of the long-term beliefs if you like lean on those little thoughts. Anyway, this was a long first section much longer than it was planned to be. Yeah, I mean, but we can battle. The next, the next pick actually can be can be pretty like pretty short and give you the goods on this because let's talk about how we apply this stuff. Like we don't want to leave you just with some nice ideas, as you know, in the show and in all of our training, in the membership, everything. We want to get really down to practical stuff. So, how do we actually use this psychology, this this buyer psychology stuff, in our email marketing specifically? So, the the really simple way of doing this is by using a technique that we've been talking about for years and you've been using for years, but applying it into your email marketing. And that's using stories, right? Stories allow you to immediately connect emotionally with people rather than just by giving them a list of facts, right? People get to know you through your stories because if you're sharing personal stories, anecdotes about things that have happened, Rob's talking about his dog Alfie doing this thing and da, da, da. suddenly you're building these this this trust with them, right? And because you're telling it in a story, people can actually imagine these things. They can imagine outcomes because they're a story. If I tell you the story about how Pat did this thing and she got these amazing results, you're now imagining Pat getting these results and seeing these outcomes and thinking, oh, if I was, I wish I was in Pat's position. Because that's what we do when we imagine stories. We put ourselves in the first person imagining the outcome. That's really tapping into that biopsychology of what would the outcome look like for me if I had Pat's beliefs, if I had that person's situation, right? And then a really important piece of any kind of storytelling 
uh, that you want to do. It's a really little shortcut that you'll see. We use all the time and it immediately lifts our stories to being stories. Sometimes we read what's supposed to be a story and it's not a flipping story. It's a bunch of facts still. The way to turn it into a story instantly is to add a location to it, right? This can be really, really casual. Like, if you reference, like, the kitchen tap was dripping, they know that you're in the kitchen rather than saying, I was stood in the kitchen and I noticed that the tap was dripping. It can be just really short, right? I sat on the sofa. You don't need to say, I was in the lounge. We can probably guess you were in the lounge, right? Standing at my desk, or my desk was a flipping mess. We know where you are. We're at, you're in the office or your home office or whatever that's going to be. And right? sometimes, sometimes those things are open to interpretation. Like if you said the words, I got married, there's a whole bunch of people immediately. Yes. So at my wedding, it, we're still, there'll be a bunch of people who immediately go, church. There'll be sure. a different group of people who go, fancy hotel room. There'll be different people who go, registry office. They'll be like some people will be like on the beach or in a you know in, in any of the other religious buildings that I don't which know. Which is which is fine by the way and much more powerful than saying sure. when I got married in church we were stood in the church for my wedding like that's yeah, right, that's too yeah. many details it 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 um, doesn't add anything doesn't add anything but it's more interesting to allow them to paint the picture of what that means to them yeah so. In these stories, we want to use techniques like future pacing, getting people to imagine the outcome, which you're doing by telling the story of somebody else's outcome. You're going to build rapport with your audience by telling stories about when, when you were vulnerable or when you had when you showed weaknesses. We often tell we, we rarely tell stories about times we did brilliantly. We sometimes do, but they're much more interesting if you talk about the times when you fucked up and you screwed up and you didn't do get didn't go well, you struggled or whatever it's going to be. Much, much more interesting stories. They build rapport. They build that trust. And also, we use stories to interrupt the pattern to actually grab people's attention. As a pattern interrupt, stories are really, really powerful. Especially if you like go against what most people think that you're going to do. If you tell a story about how you did something that failed, or how it something that was maybe a little bit outrageous, and um, certainly a little bit out of the block, out of the box, I should say, out of the blocks. Yes, out of the blocks, out of the box. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> um, and stories are really brilliant for indirect persuasion rather than offensive persuasion. It's the difference between telling people something. Hey, you should do this versus the other day I was speaking to this guy and and you tell the story and the person goes, oh yeah, I can see why that would be good. They're now in agreement because it's not being, they're not being attacked with it. You're not running at them with, with a cleaver going, you must believe this thing. Instead, when we hear a story, we relax and we listen to the story, which allows us to consider things which just plain old facts don't do. Right, so it's the difference between basically showing versus telling. We want to show we don't want to. Uh, we want to show we don't want to just tell, right? Because it allows people to sort of decide things for themselves. So, applying storytelling techniques, really simple, in less than two hundred words in your emails, is immediately much more persuasive and it's going to help you tap into a lot of bias psychology just by default, just by telling the types of stories that you can. 
Another thing that we love to do, uh, a psychological thing, is to assume that people are already customers. So, for example, we will speak, in fact, we do it on this podcast, we do it in our emails, we do it everywhere, is to talk to our audience collectively as if they are a customer of the league, for example, even if you're not currently a member of the league. So, for example, we will say things like, oh, actually, so inside the league, one of the things that you've got is our nine email curious cat campaign that will help you to deliver your lead, matter, blah, 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 blah. And what we're basically doing is we are... Uh, implying that everybody listening is a member of the league. That's totally fine. We do this in emails too. So uh, make sure that you use all of the campaigns that we give you inside of the league and we can link the words the league and we can set it up technically so that when members of the league are getting that email and they click on the link, it takes them over to the members area and that makes perfect to the campaigns page and that makes perfect sense to them. But if somebody's not a league member, they can click on that link and it can take them over to the sales page for the league and then they're able to uh, and then they're able to check out the details. And the sentence, the email, the sentiment, the link makes sense to all of those people. And of course, we use Redirect Hero, the little software tool that you've got inside the league. See what I did there? See what you did there? Um, in order to in order to use this so you can literally make a little link and when 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 you, customers click on it it takes them to the product when non-customers click on it it takes them across to the sales page that sells them the product but it makes perfect sense we talk about it from this presumptive manner that everybody's a member of the league and it's partly trying to build this concept this feeling again feelings is something else um nobody <laughs> believes that everyone who's in our audience is a member of the league you don't believe that if i said to you now everyone in the world except you is a member of the league you're not going to believe that no but i can create the feeling that that might be true it's not a belief but you get this like gut feeling that oh, i just you just feel like i need to join that i need to join that now yeah because yeah. everyone else is doing it right um, and so again that's a third thing that you're then able to to weave in and the beliefs uh, the feelings sit somewhere between the thoughts and beliefs uh, and there's another thing we get to play with yeah, it is. Okay. So uh, we want to make sure that we are including people and talking to people as if they're already uh, a customer of the thing. And it helps them feel like they're already, they've already taken that first step. The first step's the hardest. Like looking at the blank page and writing an email, that's the hardest bit. Whereas if you feel like they've already taken the first step, they're being talked to as if they're already part of it. They're not going into a room full of strangers. It, all, it already feels pretty good, right? I know when I first started my tie, I um I was texting my trainer. I felt like I already knew somebody in the room because I'd been texting the trainer for like a week beforehand, just getting to know a little bit about the group. And then when I joined, I could say hello to him, and I felt like less intimidated about going in that room, trying a new trying a new thing, which I'd never done before. Intimidating. I was already on the road to that. So another thing we do is we want to make sure that we train our subscribers to click. Right? If people are not clicking the links in your emails then they can't be going to sales pages. They can't be going to checkout pages. They can't be buying from us. And and that sucks. So we've got to train people to click. If they're not used to clicking, they're not going to click, right? If every time they get an email, there's a link in that email and it tells them to click and there's a good damn reason to click, then they're going to be more likely to click. So we have something to click in most of our emails, in our welcome sequence, the getting to know you sequence. There's lots of different things to click, lots of different reasons to click. And that's a really important thing. We want to have different reasons to click. In fact, I know a lot of you have already downloaded our um, our free resource called Click Tricks. Emailmarketingheroes.com slash tricks, if you haven't. Emailmarketingheroes.com slash tricks. Totally free resource. But basically, what, what we've detailed in that is the different ways we dress up 
hey, you should click on this thing. If you're always just saying, hey, click this link, and there's a word click here or highlighted or the, the name of the product or highlighted, and that's all you ever do, people are going to get blind to that. They're not going to have new, interesting, innovative reasons that are going to be exciting and interesting for them to click. They're going to be blind to it. So we want to make sure we've got new and fresh reasons to click. For example, we might, uh, one of the things we talk about in that click tricks thing, one of, the way, one of the ways we get people to click is having like a list of different options that somebody could choose. Um, and they can vote on which of those things is them or which one they like the most by clicking on the right one. So we have like a link poll right inside of the email. It's a great, really unusual way of getting people to click. It's just one of the different unusual ways that we use to train people to click. Again, Training behavior is key to buyer psychology. Why do we go up and down the rows in the supermarket? Because we've been trained there's a long row of things. You walk up and down the damn thing. Where every business in the world, every every large organization is studying the psychology of how people behave in their environments. In our case, it's the online environment. How do people behave? Well, they open emails, do they click links? If they're not, we need to train them to click the click, click the links. We need to be doing that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think one of the other things that we like to do with all of this is to make sure that we are doing it from day one and then staying consistent with all of this. Yeah. So yeah, we want to make sure we want to make sure that um, it's not a thing that you can't you can't train this behavior retrospectively. Once you've lost engagement, it's hard to get it back. Very difficult. We do the best job we can with our well with our um, LOL revival sequence, but it's very hard to get it back once you've lost it. So we have loads of people who say, "Oh, you know, my open rates are really high, uh, but I just don't get anyone to click on anything." And we say, "How often have you given them stuff to click? Have you done it since day one?" And the answer is usually almost always, "No." No. Uh, and that's what's happened. Basically, they've they've lost that behavior before they've yeah. even gained it. And so that's something yeah. that we definitely need to do something with. Um, the next thing that we do with psychology really is to, and biopsychology, is the concept of uh, social proof and the fact that, again, creating the feeling that everybody else is being successful with this thing and therefore I've got a good chance of being successful with it too. That that feeling of hope helps, which is ultimately what makes people buy things, helps them to... I want to just underpin that. You sort of brushed over that. What we're mostly selling, we've got to remember this, is hope. Is hope of two things. We're selling the psychology of... I the hope that I can be successful with this, I can get the result from this. And the second piece of hope is that this, I hope that this is the one that will help me be successful. Right. This is the time. This is the system. This is the platform. This is the method. This is the framework. So we're selling the hope. And once we figure that out, that's when we can really start doing some great marketing. And hope is a feeling, not a belief. Hope is the feeling that I believe. I, be I believe generally that I've been crap at this all my life. I hope that this is the thing, and I believe there is a chance that it could work. But hope comes from a place of feeling rather than a, than a place of belief. Um, so I think that one of the things they have to believe it's possible, of course, but that it's ultimately a, a, an inspiring, uplifting feeling of hope that comes from your stomach, not your brain. Um, so I think what we need to do, therefore, is create that sense of hope. So we do things like we tell. Uh, stories of customer wins whenever we get a, a customer post a, a, a cool win in our membership uh, group the, for the league um, we might share it in an email we've started doing it on on podcast episodes we did it at the start of this episode um we'll put you know screenshots of um people saying amazing things so if we've done a webinar uh, we'll get a raft of people saying this was great and we'll literally say at the end listen if you thought this was good let us know you thought it was good we're going to screenshot it all and use it in emails tomorrow so we're just very open about it and have people get this was amazing this has changed my life please have my babies um, and then we screenshot those and we put those into our emails and send them out one of my favorite ones to do is just grabbing like if you're thinking i don't really get lots of testimonials 
and stuff. That's cool because that's just one type of social proof that people use a lot and they see as they, they define social proof as testimonials and video testimonials. They're not the only types. Like, what are you proving to your audience? What is the proof that what you're doing is good? What's the proof? Like, look at what's that. Think of that word proof. Another great type of social proof is if you've got a call. Uh, see, we we do our we do two group calls every single month um, in in the in the league uh, called Hotline Group Coaching Calls, and we we get a bunch of people on those things. So if we took a screenshot of all those people on there and they're all engaged and they're all and they're all there, that's proof that there are other people in this membership. No one wants to be the first person to do anything ever. Right, uh, so make sure that you you can grab screenshots of people on your Zoom calls or whatever like that. You can also um, um, right, there's loads of things you can do. Yeah, totally. And we you want to prove everything that you're doing. So everything has to come from a place of proof. Don't ever, ever, ever make a claim, tell a story, uh, make a promise, make a, don't do anything without proving stuff. We say uh, all the time, really say it, prove it, say it, prove it. What you're saying, great. Can you prove that? Great. Because I think we live in a more skeptical world than ever. Yeah, and, and so it's, a very, to- it's a very organic thing. It doesn't have to be, um, you're not laying out evidence for a court case. You're literally just going to make a statement and then weave immediately into the proof or that could be a photograph of a thing, whatever you want to do. And again, we're just training the audience to believe that we tell the truth so that we can build the feeling of hope when we say that you're able to do this. That's really important. Yeah, mass- massively important. So one other thing that we do is make sure that we're using urgency in our email marketing. We have to be doing that. The reason we have to do this is because as human beings, we live in a world where we're constantly monitoring the priorities of things to do and pay attention to. That's all we're doing. The reason you're listening to this right now is because you're prioritizing this over listening to that other audiobook or listening to that other podcast or watching that YouTube. You're, you're, you're prioritizing this. You've chosen the thing that's at the top of your priority list right now. So how do we move what you're doing? How do we move what you're selling to the top of people's priority list rather than go, oh, I'll look at that at some point? Because as long as it's not at the top of the priority list, it's not being done. Our whole job is moving things to the top. So how do we do that? Well, if you're just sending a video out that you want people to consume, and it might not even be a sales video. It could be a sales video, but it might not be. You could say, hey, by the way, here's a video, but it's coming down tomorrow. That's a really simple way of adding some urgency to making sure that people move watching your video to the top of their priority list. Because the thing that they can do tomorrow can't be watch this video. The thing we're going to do today Instead of watching your video, they can could they move that to tomorrow? Great. And you won the battle of priorities. You're, they are now, they're watching your video. They're not listening to that podcast episode. They're not doing that other thing, right? That's the reason this stuff works. The reason urgency works is simply not by scaremongering. It's not about the fear of missing out. It's all about moving people's priorities. That's what it is, right? It ba- and it uses a really simple piece of psychology. The psychology it uses is simply, it's the reason to pay attention now. I'll say it again. It's the reason to pay attention now. That's what it is. We've done a lot of episodes. We're not going to go any more detail about urgency because we've done whole episodes about it. We talked about personal urgency back. If you want to go and check it out on back on episode 43, we talked about how to create urgency with an evergreen program, an evergreen course or membership because some people think you have to have an open and close thing to do urgency. You don't. 
We talked about different methods of doing that back on episode 109, and then how to do deadlines, how to do countdowns and urgency really well, but really ethically without crossing that line. We talked about that back on episode 135. So episode 43, 109, and 135, I definitely want to go and check out if you want to look at using this, the biopsychology of urgency. Uh, this is a really interesting episode talking about biopsychology. If you um, want to apply all of this by default without even having to think about it, because it's already baked into the campaigns that we give you. If you're not already a member of the league, go to theleaguemembership.com. If you are a member of the league, good news. We've already taken care of baking all of this and so much more that we haven't even got time to talk about today into the campaigns and the frameworks and systems you have inside of the league. Now it's time for this week's subject line of the week. Subject line of the week. Uh, so this one is uh, this podcast app, as in episode, this podcast app is out of date loads of things about that first of all the word ep instead of the word episode uh, it sort of makes it sound more conversational uh, it sounds like is that somebody writing to me about my podcast or a podcast they think i've got if you haven't got one um but also it does a thing that is really interesting you should definitely try and do this which is it's a negative subject line which leads to a really overly positive outcome so for example if i if you made me a meal and i ate it and i said that meal was shit which is excellent because i love shit food that's like got this weird uh, thing to it. So what we said is this podcast episode is out of date, which makes us think, well, why should I go and listen to the podcast episode then? But the reason the podcast episode is out of date is that it told a story about Brad, who'd made $85,000 using one of our campaigns. And it's now out of date because between recording the episode and publishing the episode, it actually passed $100,000. That makes people more inspired to click on the links and go and check it out. It's a really good example of how to use subject lines, not just to drive opens, but to drive sales and engagement too. So make it sound negative, but make the negative thing this podcast is out of date um charged by the positive thing as because it's actually much better than it was before go and check it out it's a great one this week's subject line of the week subject line of the week thank you so much for listening to the whole show this week make sure you do hit subscribe on your podcast player we're gonna be back next week and we're gonna be talking about how to create your member onboarding sequence so if you've got a membership make sure you tune in next week and we'll see you next week on the email marketing show